your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. Hey, all right. Welcome to Lacrosse Talk PM. I'm Rick Solom, like that guy just said. I don't know if I need to tell you that again. But I will tell you, UW Lacrosse Political Science Professor is Anthony Kuchergowski. He's also on with me. So he's not only that is that is not only his name, but he's going to be on the phone. Hi, Anthony. <laughs> yes, that is my name, my position, and I am also here. Uh, I called you by your first name for one. It might be the first time I ever did that. Uh, you should do that more, Rick. Like I have my, I, I'm like that cool professor who allows my students to call me by my first name. I have uh, some friends where their kids do the Mister Rick, so they go Mister Rick. I don't know if that's a thing that they do. It maybe, I don't know if they do that in schools around here or not. Um, I have my students call me Professor Anthony because I have a weird last name. Yeah, <laughs> Professor uh, P A. We could just call you P A, Professor Anthony. Sure. Uh, 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. I should pull that up so we can see if anyone wants a text. I, I didn't get any, I don't, we'll see if we got any midday texts. I did get a midday phone call, Jagoski today. Uh, somebody worried about the wall going up in DC and down on the Southern border. And I, I was like, all right, so we're doing the caravan thing again. Is that what we're worried about? And I, I just said to him, you know, we got 10 candidates running for mayor. This person, like, I think they're from lacrosse. I kind of feel like I got that out of them. I was like, do you live in the city? Like, are you voting for mayor? I go, probably best, most, your, your better bet is to worry about who the 10 candidates are for mayor and get ready for the primary February 16th. Wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely, Rick. I mean... My big concern about this election that's coming up for the lacrosse mayor when the field of 10 gets narrowed down to two, my big concern is that we have low voter turnout. And because there are 10 candidates, you might be able to get in the top two with a fairly low percentage of the vote. It's entirely plausible that a candidate could get like 20% of the vote and still be able to finish in the top two in February and advance to the to the ultimate yeah, kind of final two election. The, the so I'm really worried that low voter turnout plus a large candidate field could lead to some goofy outcomes that might ultimately come back to bite us. Do you do you, did you live here when the Onalaska mayor ran a ran a write-in campaign and won? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean that kind of that kind of speaks for it, right? Like the the idea of like anyone can win these things. I mean, uh, some some people on on social media were unhappy with the one city council member that's running unopposed, and you know in the comments it was, "Hey, I'll let's do a let's pick somebody and run a write-in campaign." Then and it, you know it was like it's very feasible that a city council member wins a write-in campaign but even even mayor probably could win it if they wanted to but at this point like that's beyond the beyond the pale the the idea here is we have 10 candidates and it's just gonna it's it's essentially feet on the ground how many doors can you knock on don't you think yeah actually on that note i was talking to the the night custodian at my building at uw lacrosse and he said that Samuel Schneider was the only candidate who had knocked on his door, and so he was planning on voting for him. He's like, well, Samuel had the guts to come up and knock on my door and, and ask her, answer my questions. So 
it really is going to be a, a, a game of how many times can you make contact with voters? Can you get your name out there? Speaking of Samuel Schneider, that was a big win for him to get that article in the Lacrosse Tribune earlier this week about his proposal to require a referendum on future property tax hikes. And I say it's a win for him because just getting your name out there is a big challenge. And, I, and that's half the battle when I, you have a 10 candidate field. I've said this a couple of times. It really, Samuel Schneider did, did the, the whole, he called, I, he was on the phone with Brad Williams uh, before announcing his candidacy. So, and we probably had six, seven candidates at that time. And he, and it wasn't him. It was it was a woman, I believe. And 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 that person had said, "We're going to have our candidate is going to be outside of city hall at eight in the morning tomorrow, or whatever time it was, announcing their candidacy, essentially. So come on down and do it." And you, we were thinking at that point, Vicky Markison hadn't hadn't uh, declared yet. So we were thinking, "Oh, this must be Vicky's, you know, the way of declaring her candidacy." Well, no, that night then Vicky posted on Facebook she was declaring, and then then the next day Samuel Schneider had his big. Uh, fix the roads, lower taxes campaign uh, announcement outside of, of City Hall. So he's been doing the things better than anyone else. I will say, um, if you want to get something in the Tribune, you just send them an email, send them a, a quote unquote press release, whatever it is, and they'll just put it in there. Because I mean, oh. at this point, they want everyone's everyone wants exposure, and the Tribune's going to give everyone exposure. So they're going to give. And that that's uh, and I don't know I don't know how many people would want to believe in that proposal by Schneider, but uh, that's a that's a way to get somebody writing about your stuff. Yeah, I mean, throw out a proposal like that. That's provocative. Where you would have to have a, a vote among the population, the voting eligible population, for there to be property tax increases and to approve projects above a certain dollar figure. I mean, you know, you can be for or against that proposal. And, you know, I think there are good reasons to be for or against that proposal. There are fair points to be made on both sides. But at least it's a provocative proposal that gets people talking. So, like, the thing is, Rick, you know, everyone, you know, laughs at, well, his 18-year-old kid's running for mayor. What does he think he's doing? With the way he's been running his campaign and with the fact that we have a large field and the fact that we may have low voter turnout, it would not stun me one bit if he ends up in the top two and ends up advancing. Yeah. And, and from we're having, obviously we're having debates Monday and Tuesday at 6 PM right here on wisdom or on wisdomnews.com. Uh, if you go to wisdomnews.com and, and click on the mayor tabs, uh, you can read, we, we sent him a questionnaire. You can read all those answers, but also all their, um, Websites and social medias are are listed there, so you can see everybody's, uh, you know, what they're doing social media wise. And I will say, um, I think at this point, I believe from what I've seen, Mitch and Vicky are probably doing the best at social media at this point. And I'm just going to go and hit everyone's social media account while I'm talking. But um, Mitch is doing Facebook Live videos uh, multiple times a week, where anyone can ask him any questions and he'll answer them. And then he has articles uh, on his on his website. He's posting articles, something about the library today, uh, something about just, you know, uh, what was the last one? I'm scrolling now. He has a lot of uh, housing first, something about homelessness. So every, you know, if you want to go check out what Mitch is saying on there, um, he's got it. And then, yeah, I can I can check all the social media accounts. But, um, yeah, there's there's other avenues to get your name out there is what I, I guess I'm getting at. And I got to give a shout out to Mitch, like for his campaign. 
there's a student group uh, that I advise at UW-La Crosse, and Mitch is going to come talk to them, and I had nothing to do with it. He initiated it on his own. So he's going out there pounding the pavement, you know, talking to college students. We forget that there's a fair number of college students in this community, and they, you know, may, may not be inclined to vote, but they are certainly votes to be had if you can get them to turn out. So uh, I, I, I noted that a couple candidates will be speaking to some student groups at UW-La Crosse, and we'll see what comes of that. Yeah, and is it weird? Uh, like, uh, you're going to have to, if you want to reach those college students, uh, uh, I mean, they're coming back. They'll, they'll be back in school, back in the classes by the time we get to February 16th, huh? Oh yeah, we're 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 rolling. Uh, we're rolling. We're gearing up, and we'll be way on. We'll be well into the spring semester by the time February sixteenth rolls around. All right, so the, uh, it it won't be a situation where they're at like mom and dad's back in no. Oshkosh and and thinking about voting for mayor. Where they have to write like a get an absentee ballot, which is another way to go. Um, all right, we got to do Brandon news. We'll be back after this. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line if you want to get on here. I'm kind of perusing everybody's. It's easier to do this on Facebook, to look at their Facebook stuff, because their websites are their websites. They're kind of set in stone. Um, but uh, it looks like Vicky Markison. She's got quite a few Facebook Live videos up. Uh, Zebulon Kemp has a Facebook Live discussion for February 2nd posted, um, and he's posting his questionnaires, his comments. Uh, Catherine Blanchard, she's got a Facebook page, just mentioned. Um, she's got a couple of stories on her Facebook page. Uh, Greg Solaris is, uh, he posted a couple of days ago for the first time since Christmas, he said. And uh, Samuel Schneider is posting, uh, he's got about five or six posts in January. And uh, looks like, uh, looks like Chris Stolpa is his next Facebook Live event. January 28th at 7 p.m. It doesn't, let's see, if I go to events, if I go to his events page, loading, it's loading. And UW Lacrosse political science professor Anthony Chugoski is on here with us. So if you got questions, we're going to, we're going to kind of venture out of town a little bit with the, uh, maybe the, the, the legislature's mask mandate situation. And uh, beyond that, I don't know, but um, yeah, it looks like, I don't know how Chris Stolpa is doing his uh, Facebook Live events because they don't appear to be showing up on his media, even though he posted that he's going to be having them. And I think Mitch does his Facebook Live events at 6 p.m. And I want to say they're like every Wednesday, but he does, he'll do them, he'll do them kind of randomly too. I think maybe sometimes when he's just feeling like uh, talking to people, uh, he just posts. but but yeah, this is this is kind of the new way. I mean, you gotta you gotta get on social media. But is this the best way to Anthony? Is this the best way to to get all the votes? Because not, I mean, are we an older population in lacrosse? And maybe not everyone is on. Although Facebook tends to skew older, um, maybe not everyone is on social media. So you really, I, I, I still- do think it's a pretty reasonable way to campaign, Rick, for exactly that reason. One of the fascinating trends in social media over the last number of years has been how the audience of Facebook, the user base of Facebook, has skewed older and older and older. Mm-hmm. Now, what do we know about voter turnout? We know, A, that older people turn out a lot more than younger people, 
And especially in these low turnout elections, that's when you get a really pronounced gap between the turnout of older people and younger people. So what I'm saying, Rick, is that it might be a small number of old people in La Crosse who ultimately make the difference in this election. And, you know, Facebook's a perfectly reasonable way to, to reach those people. And, you know, of course, people have varying levels of comfort with in-person campaigning. Certainly, this new shift to online campaigning, it's not well understood in terms of how effective it is. Political scientists have long known that making in-person contact with voters is very effective at getting their vote. We don't know really quite yet how effective these digital efforts are. Now, if uh, it sounds like your your uh, coworker there at the at the university because somebody knocked on his door. Now, if you had a favorite candidate, Chagoski, you could just text that candidate or send him a Facebook message and go, "Hey, this custodian lives at this address. Uh, he's he, all you need to do is is knock on his door." I got a text too that says uh, somebody knocked on my door during COVID. I would never vote for them. So there's that avenue now too. Yep. A whole another wrinkle to this is. Uh, Man, if you maybe come with a, a two by four that's about six feet long and and knock on the door with the two by four, and then he, although a two by four might be intimidating, that's a bad idea, Rick. I, I don't know something less intimidating, uh, and then and then have like a hazmat suit on. No, that'll be bad optics too. That might scare the crap out of somebody. I don't know. How do you knock on people's door, doors during COVID? Some people would really accept that because you don't give an f about COVID, and other people like this texter would be like. Uh, get out of here. I'm not voting for you. What's your name, by the way? Stay away from me. You know, Rick, I, I have a buddy who does public opinion surveys, and their polls in the field were asking that very question. How comfortable would you be if a candidate came and knocked at your door? What Would that make you less likely or more likely to vote for that candidate? Would you be comfortable answer answering the door? And this was a major controversy for the Democrats, because the Democratic candidates in the fall election were way less likely to engage in these kind of boots-on-the-ground, door-knocking efforts than Republican candidates would. Uh, you know, we saw Dan Kopanke and, and other Republican candidates engaging in pretty traditional campaigning efforts, in-person events, door-knocking and such. So, you know, it's this double-edged sword. I mean, some people would be terrified if some stranger it's, comes knocking at their door during a global pandemic. But we also know that in-person contact is, in normal times, the best possible way to reach voters and get them over to your side. It was really fun watching the evolution of the Dan Kopanke campaign because it was, first of all, it was just Dan going door to door and somebody was taking a picture of him every time he was at a door. or He'd be kneeling out in a cornfield next to his sign. Uh, and then as we got closer to the date, and, and maybe Dan started to figure things out a little bit, then it was Dan knocking on the door with a mask on. And it just started to, <laughs> those those uh, COVID-19 regulations started to come into pick. Maybe he started to figure out, oh, you know what? A lot of people's doors that I'm knocking on, they they kind of care about the the fact that I don't have a mask with me. or And I don't know if he didn't have a mask with him. He probably did, but... Uh, a lot of those pictures showed him without a mask. And then the Facebook outrage comes, like, where's your mask, Dan? Um, and then maybe you just started to figure out it's the easiest thing in the world to wear a mask. And, and we don't have to go down that avenue but because uh, everybody will turn the station. Um, then again, we can go down that. Gosh, dang it. Trigoski, I have to go down that avenue because uh, we're trying to repeal this mask mandate. But before yep. I get to that, can we just talk about what Robin Voss posted on what, on Facebook today? Can we do that? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, so actually, the budget picture is pretty good for Wisconsin. We're heading into the new budget cycle. So over the next couple months, people are going to hear a lot about the state budget for the next two years. Ultimately, this is going to go through the Joint Finance Committee in the state legislature. Then it has to be approved by both the state assembly and state senate goes to Governor Evers to be signed, vetoed. And of course, Evers has the line item veto as well. And the financial outlook for the state of Wisconsin is better than we had perhaps expected. I mean, there was lots of doomsday scenarios about how COVID-19 would just absolutely wreck the state's finances. And ultimately, those doomsday scenarios have not been borne out. So uh, we're in a position where we have about a million, uh, sorry, a billion dollars more than was forecasted in, in revenue. And that puts the state in a pretty good position going into this next budget cycle. Uh, you know, it, it, it was going to be, I mean, po- budget politics are always vicious, but they were going to be especially vicious if we had to make kind of major cuts how, and had to deal with major revenue shortfalls. How long, when is the budget supposedly supposed to be signed? Do you know what, like a, a, a middle of the month, what month, do you know any idea? Yeah, the process really gets kicked off uh, next month, Rick, and then it kind of goes over the next several months into the spring and summer. Um, oh, okay. But, but this is a process that kind of wraps up. Uh, yeah, it, it, it'll really kick into high gear during February, and then, you know, hopefully we'll get wrapped up uh, in a pretty pretty timely manner from there. Okay, so we're at the nine-month, 16-day anniversary from our state legislature passing <laughs> a bill of any kind. Nine months, 16 days since our government did anything for us. Uh, in terms of passing a bill of any kind, it could be legalizing gambling. That's what Minnesota is talking about right now with legalizing sports gambling. We could just get it done. Roadies to go. Uh, we talked about that two Fridays ago. Uh, not roadies to go, but what was it? Uh, <laughs> cocktails. cocktails. It's such a like, why, why are we calling drinks cocktails? We got to stop doing that. <laughs> uh, but cocktails to go. Uh, and then, well, I mean, there's the, also the Maltov cocktails. So we really could just start, <laughs> stop talking about Maltov cocktails to go. And then, uh, so it, by the time, is the budget going to be the next thing our state legislature signs or gets signed? Because uh, they haven't done anything in nine months and 16 days. Well, Rick, I mean, we thought that the mask mandate repeal would be in fact, the first thing that the legislature passed in over nine months. Well, then all of a sudden we find out, oh, oh, wait, there's $50 million in federal aid for uh, food assistance that would be lost if the assembly passed the uh, not, state Senate's resolution not, taking out the mask mandate. Not $50 million. $50 million a month is what I read, a right? Month. Yeah, just a little oversight by the Assembly Speaker Robin Voss. Oh, if we repeal the mask mandate, we're going to lose $50 million a month from the feds? Um, Rick, what's so funny we'll about this hold. is that Robin Voss blamed the Senate for the oversight. He said, unfortunately, our Senate colleagues passed this, and they didn't necessarily <laughs> do do uh, due diligence on, on this matter. Well, that's how everything goes with every, every branch of the government, isn't it? Because Robin Voss today... Uh, when when he announced and it's it's a nice big number they don't just make the decimal point nine hundred ninety three billion nine hundred dollars that's the rainy day fund of Wisconsin and he mm-hmm. and he posts today good news the state finance this week to two year state budget is expected to end with this nine hundred ninety nine billion dollar rainy day fund 
and uh, is projected to have nearly a billion dollars. Despite the difficulties of this past year and the forced shutdown by Governor Evers. And I would say, like, well, if we if we got the largest uh, rainy day fund in Wisconsin history at nearly a tr- what is it, trillion dollars. God, trillion dollars. Um, is that right? Nor is it a billion dollars, nearly a billion dollars, nearly a billion dollars. Uh, wouldn't governor Evers have to take a little bit of credit there. It can't be all just Robin Voss that did this. Well, and, and what's so strange about that statement is that he blamed, he said it would have been even better if not for the shutdowns of governor Evers, but that makes a massive assumption about people's behavior, that their economic activity would have basically stayed constant. It would, have, it would not have changed from pre-pandemic times into the pandemic. That is quite an assumption to make, Rick, that, you know, even without the restrictions imposed by Governor Evers, people, of course, would have adjusted their behavior. Of course, restaurant business would have still gone down. Of course, travel would have still gone down. Of course, the bars would have still been hurt. So that's that was I I, I appreciate the concern that people have about the shutdowns and and I get that they were very painful but consumer behavior would have changed anyway without with or without those shutdowns imposed by governor Evers well and I keep a track of every day that lacrosse county gets a covid case and in april it's there's there's a pretty good two week stretch there where we have zero cases the most cases we had in a day in, in april was two and then in May, it's uh, also two. That was, oh, we had a three. We had a three at the end of May. And then June hits, and we hit a 20-day case in the middle of the June, and it's never gone down really since. It's been at, like, 20 ever since, and now we're at, like, 40 a day. I guess it, it did go down under 10. Or, or we trickled up and down at that point, but right when the when the shutdown ended. So um, you would you could say that, like, the, the shutdown helped in a way. It, it, it gave people the idea, like, oh, this thing's serious. And, and then it also, you know, kept everyone from from getting the the virus, maybe. Um, and, that, and that summertime you're mentioning, Rick, that's after the state Supreme Court had nullified the safer at home order. So there, practically speaking, was no shutdown during that point. Yeah, June 20, June 16th is the first time La Crosse County got 20 cases in a day. And it went 20, 20, 20, 25, 24, 20. It just kept going. Uh, after that so you know about two weeks after the shutdown maybe i don't remember exactly i thought it was may 13th that the shutdown ended somewhere around there yeah so about a month later we started getting all the cases um all right we gotta we gotta do scott's comment which is chagoski's favorite thing in the uh, every weekday i think it's his favorite thing and uh brad Mm -hmm. do the news after this All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Anthony Chagoski is on the phone with us this hour. If you got questions, 608 785 7914. I did this a little bit yesterday, Chagoski, uh, with a neighbor of mine that posted something similar. But uh, Scott texted in, please remember 99.06% of people survive COVID. I am one of them. So, I mean, it's always about uh, whether or not you die from the virus that gives you these weird long-term side effects like uh, losing your taste or uh, migraine headaches for, for prolonged periods of time or just the fact that you might end up in the hospital, which is not just 99. There's The, the percentage is much greater than that. And how's all your all's health insurance? Because uh, I don't feel like I want to pay my deductible before I get hospitalized with the $14,000 bill. 
Well, yeah, Rick, and it's great that so many people end up surviving this horrible virus. But you're right. We don't know what the long-term health health ramifications are. And my point still stands, you know, regardless of if, you know, 95% survive, 97% survive, 99% survive. Regardless, this was going to impact people's consumer behavior regardless of any governmental restrictions in place, regardless of if you were required to wear a mask or not. But thank goodness that we have been able to uh, help so many people survive this terrible pandemic. I will say, though, over 400,000 people dead nationally due to COVID-19. Yeah, that's fine. We don't care about them, and they're dead now. So I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. That's the the whole point is the, is to keep people from dying from this thing. Uh, and we've made a we've made a billion dollars in the state. A rainy day fund. Uh, can we do the thing with, uh, with like Governor Walker, where we just give uh, any any parent with under an 18 year old or under a hundred dollars, and they can spend it on shoes and school supplies and clothes and because scott walker has no idea how many how much things cost i don't know if you remember that quote quote scott walker was at the lacrosse airport wearing a spider-man backpack and then talked about the all the things that 100 dollars would buy for all of your kids uh or each of your kids i should say because it was a hundred dollars per kid so when are when is uh robin voss going to propose some legislation to start doling out this billion dollars to everybody well uh Robin Voss was asked if he would support stimulus payments from the Wisconsin government. Now that we have this pretty good picture of where the budget is at, if Robin Voss would support state funded stimulus checks and Robin Voss said, no, no, I don't like to give checks to people. Of course, he didn't have a problem with it in the case you're mentioning, Rick. Yeah. Isn't he taking like a $55,000 check for gaveling in and out of at least three sessions in under a minute and not not uh, debating anything that's proposed to him in, in session. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe and give the other thing check. I saw today, Rick, is that that uh, lawsuit where he w- he was blocking people from his Twitter page or whatever and ended up running $200,000 in legal fees. And apparently the state hasn't been reimbursed uh, for those $200,000 in legal fees related to if Robin Voss can block you on Twitter. Yeah, that's right, the whole Twitter thing. Um, all right, number three's calling in. Number three, go ahead. If we got all this money down in Madison, why can't we fix Lacrosse Street? Uh, yeah, I don't. I, I guess you'll have to you'll have to talk to your legislative legislative body about that. I, I suppose because it would be Third Street, Fourth Street that are state highways, and they all need fixing. So let's take some of that money and put it in Lacrosse. Yeah, I hear you. Thanks for the call. Um, rainy day fund can it be a snowy day fund and then we just i feel like we should probably wait till winter's over before we start fixing those roads though <laughs> well uh i i've heard Rick, and i don't know where this is where this stands right now i've heard that lacrosse street is finally finally right around the corner in terms of its its repairs and I, th- I think that's cost me a penny or two in car repairs, having driven on that street every day while I've been at UWL. Uh, yeah, you just all you just need to just buy a Jeep, I think, like a nice four with mutter, <laughs> big giant tires on it, and you have no no problems there. Um, the the other thing, yeah, the whole Twitter thing, yeah. Robin Voss only lets people that he follows comment on his tweets. <laughs> it's such a petty thing. Like I I don't know. <laughs> Uh, the whole social—we've talked about the social media thing in, in the past, but the 
the whole repealing the mask mandate and uh, not knowing that it was going to come with uh, giving the feds back fifty million dollars a month and in, in, in you know help for essentially the needy, right? Like the uh, yep. Uh, that's just it's like a massive oversight that I I can't believe that at least he admitted it. Is there is there, at least there's that much? Although he pointed to the Senate and and, and cast blame to them. Well, the the wild thing about this, Rick, is that the Assembly was going to go ahead and pass that resolution from the Senate to repeal the mask mandate. But at the very last minute, there was this report that came out from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel highlighting that the state was at risk of losing $50 million a month in federal food aid. So that last-minute newspaper report caused the assembly to delay the vote that they were going to have earlier this week. And now they're saying, well, maybe we'll vote next week and we'll find a workaround for how we can repeal the mask mandate, but still keep the food aid. And right now it's totally unclear how that could happen. It's totally unclear if Governor Evers could veto any new bills that come out related to COVID and related to some way of keeping this food aid, even if we get rid of the mask mandate. The whole thing is a mess, and it's a mess because this has been a very rushed process. And like you said, Rick, it's not exactly like the legislature's been busy lately. I mean, there was every opportunity to have a careful, deliberative process where you heard from people, you heard from stakeholders, you discussed the issue, but this was totally party leader driven. It was totally a top-down thing to try to ram this through in very short order before a lot of bad press could be generated and before the opponents of the mask mandate repeal could organize, because there have been lots of opposition organizing to this. So it was just an incredibly rushed process, and in, in, in legislative politics, a rushed process rarely, rarely leads to good outcomes. Why didn't the GOP leaders just go to the gerrymandering room that they had 10, 10 years ago where you sign non-disclosure agreements behind locked doors and discuss all the things with repealing a mask mandate there? They could have just went to that room and that vault somewhere, wherever that is. <laughs> yeah. And oh, that's another fun thing that we have coming up, Rick, because this spring we will be ready to redraw the map. So isn't that going to be fun? I mean, and, and that that might be, will that be the next thing that we get signed? That might be the next thing. It'll be the, the like 13 month anniversary of something getting signed in in our state legislature. It's definitely going to be the next court battle. I'll, I'll tell you that much. Like, oh. this, it's gonna, it's gonna be uh, uh, just. This is going to involve all three branches of government going at each other, and it's going to be another big mess. When is when do we need to start talking about gerrymandering? Because I don't want to do it now. But what at what point in time so I can really just start figuring this out? Like uh, February, March, April? Yeah, Rick. The last I heard was like March or April. I can't remember the exact date, but the Census Bureau releases population data that is then used to redraw districts because the districts have to have equal numbers of people in them. And so once you have that data, then you can go ahead and start redrawing the districts. And and that should happen in the spring. Okay, so we got some time because we don't want to do the gerrymandering show too early because everybody will hang up. Uh, Joe's calling in. Joe. Joe, go ahead. And okay, thanks, Joe. Thanks for the call. Uh, Eric from Sparta, go ahead. I 
Carolina, you have a a great way to end a Friday afternoon. Two liberals talking about uh, stuff that only they... All right. Thanks a lot, Eric. I mean, if you're going to call the complaint that we're only talking about the things that we're talking about, that was your opportunity to call and bring up <laughs> something that you wanted to talk about. And uh, it is funny that you call both of us liberals because only one of us, I guess, is kind <laughs> of a... I guess I would be a liberal. Uh, speaking of liberals, libertarian guy is on. <laughs> libertarian guy? That's a that's a real twist on the word. Yeah. Hey, you know, I'm I'm listening to you guys, and you're spending an awful lot of time talking about um, you know our our state legislature and how they rushed to to try to um, get rid of the the mask mandate. Rushing, I, I, they're still. Doing I have it. to take this to 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 internet or to national politics because. You know, this whole impeachment thing, that was a rush to judgment. And Anthony Trigowski just said, yeah, when you rush like that, it leads to bad outcomes. And I also have to point out, Biden seems to be ruling by executive fiat. He's just writing orders and putting a lot of people out of work. And by that, I'm thinking about the the Keystone Pipeline that, you know, I thought Democrats wanted to put people back to work and were in support of unions. These were a lot of high-paying union jobs that just wiped out just by him signing his name. How long? And how I'm long do those guys? About the damage, the damage that's being going to be caused. You can't leave all those ditches and stuff just exposed to erosion and harm to people that come a come across that property. It's are those this pipelines? Is very worrisome, but nobody, the two of you, don't seem at all concerned about that. Are those pipelines above ground or below ground? You know, I don't know the answer to that. How long, um, how long does it take to build? Because I think they've dug them, dug holes, and I think the plan was to bury them eventually. But um, how, long, how long does yeah. it take to build a pipeline? Okay, Rick, I don't know anything. I, you know, I, I, I mean, as far as, like, building pipelines. Right, but, but how long? I do know that I pipelines mean, are a much safer form of getting oil to where, it's, where it needs to go. Where's, where's the Keystone? by train and truck, which, where, where's which the pipeline? a lot more environmental damage. Where's the pipeline started? So where are you going with this, Rick? Okay, the pipeline, the pipeline starts. So it's in Canada. What it's, difference does it make? I'm talking about people being unemployed. They can they can build the pipeline where it's in Canada. They can build that that pipeline there. Like, why do they got to build it through the U.S.? It's going to end up up there anyway. So it's going to end up on the, the northern. What is it in Superior area? Um, and and the idea that it takes so long to build a pipeline. Um, once the pipeline's built, what then those people are out, out of jobs anyway. So uh, so. I mean, it's a temporary thing. It's not like they're ongoing pipeline building. So that's what I'm getting at. Well, many jobs are temporary, but I guess there's a huge difference between, okay, you have a job right now, but we're going to end your job tomorrow versus you being able to plan to know that your job might end, say, five years from now. You would work on careers and, you know, a new plan. You wouldn't just wake up one morning and you suddenly don't have a job when you're trying to support your family. So... you know, it seems like you're obfuscating the issue here. I'm talking about people just being unemployed with the swipe of a pen. And and that's I think that's terrible. But you guys don't seem to be concerned about that. You're more worried about a mask mandate. Yeah, the, the mask mandate directly. People can wear masks whether there's a mandate or not. It, it doesn't really matter because most of us will continue to wear masks regardless of what happens in Madison. 
All right. So regardless, the, the things that happen in Madison directly affect us. That's why we're talking about them. I don't really have a whole lot of stake in the Keystone Access Pipeline. No, Maybe I, some I, people I wasn't in aware Iowa. that I had a position on the Keystone Pipeline until he called in. Well, he texted in and wanted to talk about it, and I said I didn't really want to talk about it because like, <laughs> clearly none of us, none of us have done our homework because I don't know a whole lot about it. Libertarian guy clearly doesn't know a whole lot about it, except that a bunch of people lost their jobs that they were going to lose anyway after the pipeline's done. And uh, you don't know anything about it either, which you just said. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like no, that. I, I have no position on the Keystone pipeline either way. But, you know, libertarian guy, I think his broader point is this increase in the power of the presidency. But to pin that on Joe Biden would be a mistake. This has been an, incre- an increasing trend over many, many decades, and presidents of both parties are responsible for really governing by executive order and taking you know, unilateral action and really asserting themselves. So, you know, this might be an example of increased presidential power. I don't know. But it is absolutely something that both parties have done. So I, I don't know that Joe Biden and the Keystone Pipeline is the best and certainly not the only example. Yeah, I mean, we can, I mean, every, whatever president is in office, whatever they do executive order wise, one side's going to say that they had to do that. And the other side's going to say they're doing too many of that. We did that for four years because Trump had his own executive orders. And I would say that a lot of them weren't very popular either. Uh, somebody texted in, you dipstick, that pipeline runs down through the U.S. Yeah, I'm, I'm, clearly, I don't know which pipeline is which. That's why I didn't want to talk about it, but I tried to uh, bring up the Dakota Access Pipeline or the whatever pipeline is running through up to Superior Duluth. I mean, there's there's all kinds. we got to figure out a better way to, uh, to uh, transport oil or just get off oil, which seems to be uh, where we're headed. Because I think Chevy, did you see the story about Chevrolet's going... Um, away from gas-powered vehicles by 2035, 2035, 14 years from now, Trigoski. So um, y- you got one more car to buy, I think. One more, <laughs> well, one more and, fossil fuel and Rick, car. A couple, couple weeks ago, we were talking about, like, can the gas tax long-term even be a source of funding for roads when so many car companies are going in that direction? Yeah, that's another thing we'll have to figure out. How do we, uh, how do we tax... Uh, you know, better. Maybe we could take this billion dollars. Number three had it right. To take the billion dollar yeah. rainy day fund and make that and make that part of the fix the roads fund. Uh, just number just three should be governor. I mean, if we really wanted to do this, we would take the government's responsibility out of fixing the roads. This stupid socialized socialist uh, idea of having governments fix the roads, and we would just put the onus on all of us. If you live. You know, if you live in on Main Street there or whatever and the road needs to be fixed, then it's your responsibility for fixing it. Libertarian guy said the other day, we shouldn't be putting the city shouldn't be putting trees in the boulevard. If I want a tree in the boulevard, it should be my responsibility to put a tree in the boulevard. Also, your sidewalk, I think you do have to fix sidewalks, actually. Um, But also, if your road is broke in front of your house, that's your responsibility. Get the jackhammer out there, get some cement and fix your road. (laughs) <laughs> we'll have to get jackhammers, I guess. Well, we could socialize that, right? Like have a jackhammer. Everyone has one throughout the oh, neighborhood. Now, now we're socialists again, though. Oh, dang it. So, yeah, I mean, my idea for stuff like that, if I lived in, in town like that, I have and my snowblower is 45 years old, but I will take my – it's really loud, too, I'll tell you, Chagoski. 
Um, and I'll just go through like up and down the neighbor's driveways and just give them a little head start on, on plowing the driveway. So I don't know. So oh, that's, you're a good neighbor, Rick. Well, I mean, it's just, I mean, Bernie Sanders showed me, showed me the way I tell you. Um, all right. So I'm, I'm going to let you go. I think that's, I think we put you through enough today. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> you, you coming on. And um, what do you think tomorrow? What is, can we even predict what we would talk about next, next week, Friday? I mean, we do have coming up Monday, a mayoral debate. So that's uh, Monday and Tuesday. So that's exciting. Yeah, Monday, Tuesday at 6, mayoral debate on WISM. Um, and a little bit different, too, right? We split the candidates into two groups of five and, and let them, they a little bit more free reign. We got it done in an hour, but they had a little bit more free reign to kind of go back and forth against each other. So it'll be a little bit more interesting. I thought they both went really well. I think people will be generally pleased. Yeah. Um, all right, Trigoski, thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, see ya. Um, one more break, real quick break. All right, welcome back to the Crosstalk PM. Just a couple minutes left here to wrap up. I want to say that we got uh, two mayoral debates going to be on air at 6 p.m. Monday and Tuesday. We got 10 candidates running for mayor. And if you go to wisdomnews.com and find the pull-down menu, I believe, or the if you're on your computer, just look for the lacrosse mayor tab. Essentially, you click on that. Every candidate is listed there. They filled out a questionnaire. Every one of them filled out a questionnaire just to kind of get to know them a little bit, get to know their position on more generally, and then just a couple of like like housing rental and uh, another one on transportation and parking, and then just you know, hey, your top three priorities, what would those be? So we we tried to just get like a couple of like the issues that everyone kind of wants to talk about. Uh, pandemic obviously was another one, and then uh, you know, what is your education, work, and life history that makes you suited for a job as Lacrosse's mayor? That was another question that we asked. Uh, so go check that out, lacrossewisdomnews.com, uh, and just look for the lacrosse mayor candidate and uh, uh, tab. And and then at 6 p.m. Monday, you can watch online, wisdomnews.com, or you can check it out right here on the radio. You can listen that way, too. Thanks a lot.